It's a Wonderful Life. This movie came out in 1946. And the funny thing about this movie, I never saw it until I was about 34, 35 years old. Um, and I was a college pastor in Auburn, Alabama. A friend of mine, Brent Reeves, was the pastor of a church there. He says, hey, have you seen this movie? And I'm like, no, I haven't. So sit down and watched it. What an amazing movie. How many of y'all, this is one of your favorite Christmas movies? Let me see your hands. Good, okay, awesome. Um, uh, you know, they, they try to colorize some of these black and white movies. They're, I don't, I just don't mess with it, right? I mean, uh, the, the Miracle on 34th Street, that's a black and white one, much better than Matilda, who, who plays in that. All right, so, but uh, as you know, if you've not uh, seen this movie, let me just kind of tell you about it. It's, uh, it's a, it stars an actor by the name of Jimmy Stewart, uh, who plays a man by the name of George Bailey. And George Bailey's kind of given up on life. Uh, he's had some financial hardship, and he's kind of lost all hope. He's ready to end it all. He's ready to commit suicide until an, his guardian angel named Clarence, which I always thought was kind of a weird name for an angel, but uh, Clarence shows up and, and tries to instill hope into George by showing him all the lives that he has touched along the way. And Clarence shows George just how different the community would be if George had never been born. So in a world without George Bailey, um, Bedford Falls, now called Pottersville, is home to a sleazy nightclubs and pawn shops. Bailey Park has never been constructed, and Mr. Gower is sent to prison for poisoning a child. He's despised by the whole town. Uh, George's friend, Violet Bick, she goes morally south and arrested, is arrested for pickpocketing. Ernie's family has left him. Uncle Billy has been in a mental institution for quite some time. Harry is dead, his brother, because George was not there to save him when he was a little boy from drowning uh, in, uh, when he dropped through the ice. And uh, all of the people that Harry would have saved in World War II, they also died because Harry wasn't there, because George had never been born. Ma Bailey, she uh, was a bitter old widow, and Mary, Mary, uh, she was a lonely librarian. They would have been some completely different. Their lives would have been a completely changed had George Bailey had been born. But for this brief instant, Clarence the angel said, what if, what if, George, you would have never been born? And I, it, it's such a classic movie, and it really does remind me that even, you and I, even if we can't see it, God has some pretty cool stuff in and through us he can do. So never lose hope. Don't stop living. Life is worth living. In fact, in spite of all of our struggles, it really is a wonderful life. Well, uh, John Ortberg wrote a book entitled, Who is This Man? And in this book, it's such a fantastic read, he pretty much takes the premise of It's a Wonderful Life, and he asks this question. He didn't ask the question, what would this world be like without George Bailey? But he asked this question, how differently would the world be had Jesus never been born? In fact, can we read this together? How different would the world be if Jesus had never been born? I think that's a question that we're going to really dig into today because I think it would be radically different. Well, 2015, the people's most sexiest man of the year is out, and I didn't make it again. You know, um, I've never been uh, nominated to be the sexiest man of the year, probably won't. I'm never going to be uh, uh, put in the 100 most influential people in America, and I'm definitely not going to make the Times person of the year. Now, before we put it up, let me just ask you a question. The first times person of the year happened in, the people of the year happened in 1927. And I want to ask you, just take a guess, who do you think it was? Here's the hint. 
he flies airplanes. Anyone? Lindbergh, that is exactly right. Charles Lindbergh was the very first person of the year. And, of course, Charles Lindbergh flew around the world in his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis. Back in 2010, the person of the year was Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. In 2012, uh, the, pr- the cover was the President, uh, President Obama. And then in 2013 was Pope Francis. 2014 uh, was the people fighting Ebola. And 2015, of course, is not out yet, but you can vote. Right now it's neck and neck between Miley Cyrus and Caitlyn Jenner. Now, I know, you know, they're just trying to sell magazines and they're trying to, you know, kind of create some controversy. But let me just say this. Um, Just because your face is on the cover of a magazine doesn't measure really your true measure of greatness or the contribution that you make. I know some of you, uh, you work day in and day out to provide for your family. Some of you, you work in our children's environments. Uh, you work as a greeters here. And if I could, I'd love to nominate you for person of the year because of how you give and how you serve. I think my wife should be person of the year because she has to live with me. Um, but if we really had to ch- choose the person that has not just had the biggest impact in a year, but have the biggest impact in world history, the biggest impact since the beginning of time, someone who's touched every continent, someone who's who's touched every culture and in every language, there's really only one person for that cover. And that person is Jesus Christ. You know, normally when somebody dies, their impact on the world immediately begins to fade. But think about this. That hasn't happened with Jesus. Someone wrote that 10 years ago, we had Bob Hope, Steve Jobs, and Johnny Cash. And now, 10 years later, we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. (laughs) I think everybody leaves some type of legacy. But Jesus' legacy was was impacted even greater 100 years after his death than than during his life. 500 years later after his death, uh, it's exploding. Christianity is exploding all around the world. 1,000 years later, the legacy that eventually laid the foundation of much of Europe that eventually our nation, the United States of America, and 2,000 years later, Jesus has more followers than ever before. John Ortberg writes this. Jesus' vision of life continues to haunt and challenge humanity. His influence has swept over history like the tail of a great comet, bringing inspiration to art, science, government, medicine, and education. He has taught about humans about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. His impact on the world is immense and non-accidental. It is in Jesus' name that desperate people pray, grateful people worship, and angry people swear. From christenings to weddings to sick rooms to funerals, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. I like that. From the dark ages to post-modernity, he is the man who simply will not go away. Think about it. The impact of this one man's life is so great that his birthday is going to is the widely most celebrated birthday in the world. It's Jesus' birthday is going to cause traffic jams in on Madison Street and Warfield in Wilma Rudolph in Fort Campbell. Let's be honest. Traffic on Warfield is traffic all year long. I mean, think about it. The cross, this image of the cross, is the single most recognizable symbol in the world. It adorns jewelry, art, 
It is the most common form of tattoo it, it, that people get. It marks graves. It sits on top of churches and on hospital signs. You know, if we were just to forget about religion for a moment and just look at just Jesus the man who walked this planet like billions of others have walked this planet, just look honestly at his impact in the world, I think we would all have to agree that it's pretty incredible that he has had this huge ripple effect. Uh, the really cool thing about this is that there would be a, a person that we would have never chose Jesus to impact his world like he has. Because, I mean, think about it. He, he's not only the person of the year, he's person of the history, but he was born in a barn. Uh, he, he was just blue-collar. He was a hard-working person. He never had led any type of military career. He was born in a podunk little hick town. He never coached a national championship team. He never wrote a bestseller. He didn't have 10 million Twitter followers. He never had a reality show. He never held a press conference. And yet, 2015, years after he came, it is virtually impossible to imagine a world that Jesus was not born into. But for the next few moments, you and I, I just want to challenge us. Let's try. Let's try and imagine that Jesus had never been born. When you got up this morning, what is the date? December 6, 2015. It shows up on my iPhone. 2015 years from what? Well, 2015 years from when the birth of Jesus, this person named Jesus, was born. You can't turn on your iPhone. You can't boot up your computer. You can't look at a calendar or even look at the expiration date of a gallon of milk without being reminded that Jesus split history and time in two. History is not divided into before and after Facebook. History is not divided into before and after the Beatles, Tupac, or Lady Gaga. We do number our days and our years B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, which is translated in the year of our Lord. There's just no way around the fact that the most pivotal event in human history of the world is the birth of this lonely carpenter on the hills outside of Bethlehem. Nobody else, nobody else ever splits time. One of Jesus' closest friends, his name is John, he wrote a book named John. It's a bestseller, you ought to read it. It's all about Jesus. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And listen to what John has to say about Jesus and his leadership and his power in this. He is the Lord of all lords, and he is the king of all kings. Now, John isn't just being poetic when he writes that. He's making a statement. John is writing into a world that was ruled by the Roman Empire, a, a world uh, of Nero's and Augustus and Tiberius and Julius Caesar. Uh, just the fact, in fact, you could take all of the rulers that have ever lived, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Mark Antony, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Stalin, King Richard, King Edward, King James, LeBron James. Take all of the kings, and if you stack them all up, Jesus' influence would be greater than any and all of those combined. Catch this. John is making the claim. He's making this claim during the first century when Jesus only had just a few couple of thousand followers. I mean, if we could do that whole Back to the Future Marty McFly thing and go back and time travel to the first century and look at Rome with all the Julius Caesars and the Neros and the Domitians and the Tiberiuses and the Augustus, and, and, and we look at Jesus and his 12 followers. And if we had to place a bet, 
2,000 years later, who is going to be have the most impact? Let me tell you, none of us would have picked Jesus and his 12 followers. Yet today, 2,000 years later, we name our children Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Mary, Paul. We name our casinos and dogs Caesars and Nero. And by the way, do you want to know when Nero died in the year of our Lord, A.D. 68? Napoleon in the year of our Lord, 1821. Joseph Solon in the year of our Lord, 1953. Every ruler, every dictator, every monarch, every king, every president, every leader that will ever live or will have ever lived, every nation that rises or falls must now be dated in reference to the life of this one Jewish king that was born in Bethlehem. Jesus changed history. Jesus impacted even how we tell time today. In fact, not only did the resurrection of Jesus that happened on Sunday reordered all of the calendars so that the beginning of our work week is on Sunday, and then it goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday again. It was Jesus' followers who created mechanical clocks so that we could even tell time today. For centuries, monks had these little monastic communities, and they would gather to pray. And they would order their days around what they called the prayer of the hours. So in the 13th century, some of these monks went, on, went to work on creating these mechanical clocks so that they would know when to pray to this man, Jesus. Whatever you think about Jesus, whether or not you're a Christ follower or not, whether or not you go to church or not, whether or not you even believe that he ever existed or not, the fact remains, it's hard to imagine a world where he isn't born. Jesus affected everything. Jesus shaped education in such a life-altering way. You know, uh, it's amazing because before Jesus, it was only the rich and the powerful and the royalty that were educated. But when Jesus' followers, they started taking, they wanted, they wanted everyone to be able to read and to write. And most people, when they think about church and religion and information and knowledge, it's just regurgitating information. But when Jesus showed up, he changed and he taught to change lives. He taught, so not just mere facts, but in fact, this is what the Bible has to say about Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like the other teachers. His words penetrated their hearts and, 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 and altered their lives. The, the record of Jesus' teaching, the record of his life, we call the Gospels. We have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have been so impactful that they have been translated into 2,577 languages. The second most translated book, Harry Potter, 68 languages. I can't even make that up. I want to uh, let you see a little uh, difference and shift in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at something called the Shema. And the Hebrew word Shema literally means to hear. And this is what Moses writes in the Torah. He says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Now, listen to what Jesus says when he quotes that verse. He adds something to it in Mark twelve thirty. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your what? Mind and with all of your strength. It was the followers of Jesus that really began to pursue what it really means to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. He made people think. He challenged their beliefs. He pushed back against their prejudices. 
I love this. His followers made it a priority to teach all people, common people, men and women, slaves and free, not just the upper class and the uppity up. Before there were printing presses, before uh, people just, uh, they would, before Kindles and before iPads, but the, it was Jesus' followers who would sit down and transcribe all of these scriptures and begin to record and pass down these ancient manuscripts for preservation. Starting in the fourth century and beyond, there were people who devoted themselves to copying these ancient manuscripts day after day. In fact, the greatest preservers of classical education and literature take religion out of it, take the Bible out of it. Yes, the Iliad, the Odyssey, some of these things were followers of Jesus Christ. They wanted everyone to learn to love God with all of their minds. The Church of Jesus eventually began to provide education to anyone who ever wanted education. They began to build schools. Throughout the centuries, they started uh, these things, what we call now as universities. The University of Paris in the 12th century. Then Oxford. Then Cambridge in the 13th century. Universities in Rome and in Naples that eventually began to trickle over and started universities here in the United States. In fact, I want you to see if you can guess which famous United States University student handbook this comes from. Here's the quote. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider, well, the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Anybody want to take a guess where that came from? Harvard University, 1646. There's Harvard, there's Yale, William and Mary, Princeton, Brown, all but one school that was started before the American Revolution in 1776, all but one were started by followers of Jesus. In fact, that great bastion of learning, Austin P. State University, was started as a Presbyterian school. In fact, 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities in the U.S. were started by followers of Jesus. They just wanted everybody to learn. Now, where did this universal theme come from about wanting everybody to learn? It came from a guy by the name of Martin Luther. You might have heard of him. He just believed so strongly that everyone should be able to read God's word in their own language. And let me just hit the pause button here and tell you the reason why. Because in his time, the Roman Catholic Church was very, very corrupt. And they only had the God's word, the scriptures, in Latin. And no one read Latin. No one understood Latin. So it was during the Dark Ages before Martin Luther, every, it, it went dark because nobody understood God's Word. It was just the priest and the uppity-ups. And they would read it in Latin, and then they would just make up whatever they want to, and they would sell indulgences. They became filthy rich, and it was just an atrocious time. Martin Luther showed up and said, enough is enough. I believe that everybody should be able to read God's Word, the Bible, in their own language. And following Martin Luther's courageous lead, Christian missionaries all over the world became pioneers in the study of what was created and started as linguistics. They started going to places where languages, written languages, weren't even written, and they started listening to the dialect and writing down these languages so they could be able to take the Bible and to translate it so that people could understand it. Do you know it was, the, it was Christian missionaries that created the first dictionary? The first grammar established the first school so that every kid could understand what it means and, and could read and write. In fact, um, some of you have heard of Sunday school. 
Sunday school came about in the 1800s because in England, all they didn't have any child labor laws, and all the chi- all the children would work from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday was their day off. So it was churches that said, you know what, we're going to do these little schools that were going to happen on Sunday, and we're going to teach people how to read and to write. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed social classes. Because of the original idea of the church was, of Jesus was so fresh in people's minds, it was so new, it was so compelling, so inclusive, so revolutionary, that it, it went beyond ethnic groups and guilds and clans and tribal factions and tiered society where the kids and the women and the slaves were the least of these, and Christianity flipped it. In fact, listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In this new life, not the old, but the new life. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. You talk about a breath of fresh air in the ancient world. It was a place for everyone to find hope and grace and a new start. In fact, what was the most, most written thing about the Christians during the first century is that they loved everybody. It was a place where people actually practiced kindness and humility and mercy and forgiveness and gentleness and patience and compassion. You cannot find a movement before the church and before Jesus that intentionally sought out to include every human being, regardless of their skin color or nationality, how much money you make, your gender, Your health condition, the down and out, the up and out, were all invited to be included and loved and transformed again. All because of one man, Jesus Christ. His church, the new community, was the original Me Too kind of place. It was the birthplace of the 12-step program. It was, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous was a Christ follower. And uh, the ideas of AA and the 12-step program came directly out from the Oxford group. So no Jesus... No AA, no NA, no SA, no CR, no Jesus, no 12-step programs, no Jesus, no true freedom. In ancient Greek and Roman culture, let me tell you, before Jesus, it was the educated and the beautiful and the noble and the powerful, they were prized and they were taken care of. And everybody else, eh, they can live or die. But when Jesus showed up, he changed health care. You want to know who changed health care? It isn't Obama. Is Jesus. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Children were thought of differently before Jesus. It was in the ancient world, children usually didn't get named until the eighth day or so. Up until then, there was a chance that the infant would be killed or left to die of exposure, all because if the child was deformed, sick, or not the right gender. There's an ancient letter to a Roman soldier written back home to his pregnant wife, and in this letter, He just casually mentions that when the child is born, if it's a boy, here's the name that we're going to give it. But if it's a girl, let her die of exposure out in the cold. That was just the ancient world. Unwanted children were thrown out on trash uh, trash hills outside the city, left to die. That custom changed, all because a group of Christ followers remembered what Jesus said when he said this. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. So Jesus made it clear that all children were to be valued. So Christians began to to take in abandoned children, boys and girls who were left out on their own. 
they would just bring in the love. Christians would go down to the river and they took children that had been discarded on the rocks or abandoned and took them to their homes. And even though they already had children because these people started taking their, uh, the babies they didn't want and just leaving them on the doorsteps of Christians, it was absolutely revolutionary. In Rome, during the 165 to 180 AD, plagues broke out during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, the guy who was in Gladiator. A plague broke out that was killing 2,000 people a day. An estimated 5 million people were killed by this plague. When the plagues broke out in these small towns and villages, the pagan priests, they were gone. They were the first to leave. And everybody eventually left because they didn't want to die and catch the plague. You want to know who stayed behind? It was the Christians, the Christ followers. They stayed behind and they took in sick people. They took care of them. They nursed them back to health. Many Christians lost their lives because they got the plague as well. Why did they do that? Because they saw how Jesus treated the down and out and, and how he touched the lepers and those who were sick. He asked his followers to take care of the least of these. The Christian conquest of the Roman world didn't come from the sword, but come from love. Eusebius, a historian, wrote this. All day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered and distributed bread to those who were living and left behind. Because of the Christians' compassion during the plague, how they loved other people was on everybody's lips. You know, it was in the 4th century that the first hospital was opened, started by a follower of Jesus by the name of St. Benedict, who said this, The care of the sick is to be placed above and before every other duty, as if indeed Christ was being directly served by waiting on them. By the 6th century, all of these different monasteries that were popping up, there was attached to them little hospitals. And everyone had compassion and brought in the sick and the healing. In 1881, an organization was created to alleviate human surfing, suffering around the world and that would provide relief for victims of disaster. You want to know what symbol they chose? Here it is, the American Red Cross. It's because of Jesus that when you leave today and you go to the mall or you go to Walmart or you go to a grocery store, there's people out ringing bells. And the reason why they're ringing bells is because Mr. Booth, a Christ follower, started an organization called the Salvation Army that wanted to help those in need. When you think of World Vision, Compassionate International, the YMCA, which stands for the Young Men's Christian Organization, Association, excuse me. When you look at Christine Kane's A21, when you look at the hospitals of St. Jude, St. Thomas, St. Joseph, Central Baptist, Good Samaritan, you are walking through the caring hallways that were built by the movement of this one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus stepped into this world and changed the way we thought about each other, changed the way we thought about our neighbors, he changed the way we thought about our enemies, he changed the way we thought of and how we valued other people. He changed the way we think about human rights. We live in a country where these words are on our founding documents. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and have been endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. Where did this idea come from? Well, it came from a person named Jesus 
who tore down barriers and class systems and taught that everybody is created in the image of God and who God places such a high price tag on that he sent his son Jesus to die so that we could live. Think about what if Jesus had never been born. Think about human rights. No Nelson Mandela who courageously and peacefully fought for the end of apartheid so that all people, black or white, could be able to come and have rights. Jesus inspired Tolstoy, who then inspired Gandhi, not a Christian, but who loved reading the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it was Gandhi who said this. Gandhi said, if I ever met a Christ follower who had the same conviction that Jesus had in his sermons, I would abandon my religion and I would become a Christian. And to my knowledge, he never met one Christian who had that conviction. And yet it was Gandhi who was inspired Martin Luther King Jr. If Jesus had never been born, no Jesus, no Martin Luther King Jr. The most famous speech of the 20th century came from this Jesus follower. He was a preacher and a dreamer who preached at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I have stood in that pulpit And when he went to Washington and stood outside on the Lincoln Memorial and he preached this, I have a dream today that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Where did that dream come from? Jesus. It was Jesus the Christ. That's where, you see, there's never been a life like this man who lived Jesus. There's never been a death quite like Jesus' death. There's never been a hope quite like Jesus' hope. Friends, there's no way I can even go and really scratch the surface if we just removed if Jesus had never been born. If Jesus had never been born, my life would be different. I spent some time reflecting on this. What would my life look like had I had Jesus never been born? Let me tell you, it wouldn't have been pretty. I would be so empty inside. I'd be chasing all kinds of worldly stuff. I'd be a womanizer. I would be envious. I would be greedy. I would be selfish. I would be unforgiving. I would get, at, I would get back at people before they ever got to me first. I would lie to protect my image, or even worse, I, I would just lie just to lie. I wouldn't care what you thought about me. If Jesus had never been born, you're talking about a guy who would be hard to live with. I mean, I, I, mean, I would be extremely selfish. I, I, would, I would doubt, I would be addicted to something I, I, that would be destructive. I wouldn't have a clue how to love anybody else. And my marriage would be an absolute wreck. In fact, I know, I don't even know if I would even be married to the same wonderful woman. And you know, without Jesus, she wouldn't be that wonderful. In fact, I'll tell you this. My wife, Kim... A family gave her up, a single mom gave her up for adoption when she was six six weeks old. Had Jesus never entered the world, I'm sure her parents would have never ever adopted her. And she would have been shuttled from foster home to foster home. In fact, without Jesus, I'm sure there probably wouldn't be any fostering or foster homes or adoption. If If Jesus had never been born, I would be a horrible dad. I'd be a lazy employee. I would be a lousy neighbor. I would be that guy who would be angry, drinking alcohol all the time, and when you honk my horn while I'm sitting on the front porch, I'd flip you off. I'd be that guy. I would have no peace. I would not have any purpose in my life. 
I wouldn't know where I would spend eternity when I die. I would have no hope. I would be insecure. I'd be this fear-filled, anxiety-driven basket case had Jesus never lived. As we close, let me just show you a few verses from Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says this. He says, if it's true... That means Christ is not raised. If Jesus had never lived, that means Christ is not raised. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then what? We have nothing to preach, which means going to church. What's the point? No Jesus? You've got nothing to believe in. Nothing to believe, nothing to preach. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, listen to this, is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. If Jesus had never been born, there's no hope, there's no salvation, it's game over, no peace, no purpose, no hope. You're wasting your time right now. It would also mean that believers in Christ who have died are lost, verse 18 and verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, if we've got no hope after death, we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. You know, what if Jesus had never been born? That's a great question I want you to ask. But let me just, just say this. Jesus has been born. Jesus existed. In fact, our big idea today is this. Jesus didn't just come to change history. By the way, he did change history. But that's not the only reason he came. He came to change your history. He came to change your story and make it into his story. It's true. Jesus lived, and I get that. He split time in two. I get that. He changed art. He changed culture. He changed the way we believe, how we approach God. He changed, uh, he changed the, how we tell time. He changed how we view human rights. He changed the clocks. He changed, y'all, I get that. But Jesus came to change you. Don't lose that fact this season. That Jesus didn't just come to change history. He came to change your history. So my challenge is twofold. Number one, if you're a Christ follower here, I want you to do the little activity that I've done this past week. I want you to sit down and I want you to get a clean piece of paper and a pencil or pen and I want you to ask this question, how differently would your life be without Jesus? And let me tell you, there wouldn't, you're not going to experience a lot of hope with that. If you're a Christian, I want you to ask that question. How would my life be different without Jesus? Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't have Jesus right now, I just want to challenge you, is I just want you to open up a map. I want you to do some digging. I want you to look at some history. And I just want you to ask yourself this question, how different would it all be if Jesus had never been born? Just roll out a map. Look at just the California. California, the capital of California is Sacramento. We get that name because 2,000 years ago, Jesus and his 12 followers were in the upper room and they ate bread and wine and it was what is called now the sacrament or the Lord's Supper. Sacramento. San Jose. It was named by a person who was Joseph, who was a follower of Jesus. The city of angels, Los Angeles, the most misnamed city in the world right all because of jesus you cannot go anywhere read any history book without seeing the thumbprint and the impact of jesus 
Has he had that impact on your life? I hope he has. Because today, you can come and know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, a haunting question to ask. How different would the world be if Jesus had never been born? And Lord, just as George Bailey pondered that question in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, Lord, we're reminded today, if Jesus had not been born, none of us in here would have a life that is wonderful. In fact, there's even some here today they may even be Christ followers, and it doesn't seem that wonderful even now. They're struggling with relational breakups. They're struggling with pain and with physical ailments and cancer and chemo and counseling and all of this stuff. Lord, I pray that you would be able to meet them where they're at. Lord, your word says this, Jesus, you said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, that we would not lose the Christ in Christmas. We would not just live life as if you had never been born. Because you came, you came not just to change history. Lord, you came to change our history. 